Hey everybody and welcome to Radically Normal. On today's episode titled Misunderstood, Michael and I will talk about Jesus healing someone on the Sabbath, 12 apostles, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, as well as a reimagined family. We're really excited for today's episode and we hope you guys enjoy it. Hey everyone, this is Michael and I'm here with Andre where he's in Houston and I'm in Norman. Uh, We've been recording IGTVs, we've been recording This Week Meets the Cross, been doing several interviews, but this is the first time from remote places where we're getting to jump into Mark. Uh, And tonight we get to talk about uh, Mark chapter 3 and uh, we're both really excited. But first, just since we haven't been able to really chat on the podcast at all, uh, how have you been doing? How's the internship going in Houston? It's going really well, man. I really am enjoying uh, being... Um, here in in Baytown, actually, it's it's pretty close to Houston, about uh, 40 minutes south, I would say, where the refinery is. But getting to work on a lot of really cool projects, and um, I'm really enjoying everything that I'm learning and the people I'm working with. Um, it's been a really good time. How's everything in Norman? It's been going really well. Uh, I'm in a hard class called Econometrics, but uh, besides that, it's been a really fruitful time of, of life. It's my last year in Norman, and uh, a friend of mine was just saying in Sunday class the other day how time is going by so fast, and we need to be intentional with our time, and uh, uh, I really feel that, and uh, it's definitely true uh, for me as I've been thinking through uh, graduating in May uh, from OU, um, but do you just want to tell tell everyone our predicament and what we've been doing the last, last couple nights trying to get this episode recorded? <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to, I guess. Um, so this is our fourth time starting this episode. <laughs> if you had access to the other ones, you noticed that our introduction was a, just been getting a, a little bit shorter each and every time. Um, um, but, I mean, it happens sometimes for some reason. Uh, just been having some issues with um, being able to record the Zoom audio. And then also, for some reason, my computer keeps slowing down its recording pace it's really weird it just makes me sound really sped up and can't quite figure out how to how to normalize that but you know we're ready to knock it out and this time it is guaranteed to work so it will be our last time doing it we hope yeah, and so uh, one thing that we've been tacking on, so we had the Monday episodes through the through Mark this season, but on Sundays now we have the five minute episodes on a on a uh, noteworthy incident from that week or a current event connecting it to the Bible in uh, Andre's special time of five minutes and three seconds. Uh, in, in the first one, we got to talk about technology and something that we didn't have time to get to uh, because of the, the shortened time, which I hope is a, a good time for everyone uh, just to listen quickly and, and, and uh, get some Bible and culture in, is that uh, my, my roommate was showing me this article. Uh, last week. Uh, it act- there's an article that came out in the Scientific American on October 13th of this year uh, talking about the ha- a study showing that the chances are 50-50 that we live in a simulation uh, and that we are inside somebody else's computer. So you think about how advanced uh, we can run computers. They're saying it's it's possible that uh, we are in somebody else's simulation. Uh, I didn't really find the argument quite convincing at all, really. Uh, and Maybe we'll get into that in a sec, but what do you think about that? Are we living in a simulation, Andre? Yeah, it really reminds me of the Matrix movies, man, about, you know, AIs controlling everything and and our brain powers just, uh, you know, being harvested to to, um, give them energy. I don't know, it's a very interesting idea. I think maybe it's um, a way how the the mind simplifies the idea of, um, you know, creation all the way to revelation and and how, um, you know, potentially... um, there's just there's a there's 
going to be a time when, you know, people don't really comprehend or care to understand what's going on and, and need a way to understand it for themselves. And, and maybe this is just one of those situations or, you know, maybe we are in some kind of simulation. Who knows? Yeah, I think it, I think it's to me. I think go. Yeah, I was gonna say I, for me, I think the, the argument isn't very sound. Um, you know, you say 50 50, but to me, I think to, um, you know, the Bible and, and the fact that we have a creator and um, yeah, that's that's kind of my thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah, same. I think it, it's just another way to explain. We all have this feeling that we're part of this larger plot and that there is an author and director of history and we know how it's going to how it's gonna end up. So that's exactly right. And what's uh, the centerpiece of all of history, uh, God's revelation and uh, God's direction of history centered upon his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's who we get to study in Mark 3 uh, in this episode. So do you want to go ahead and jump in? Awesome, man. Yeah, let's, let's go ahead and jump in and... Um, you know, make the most of the time we have for, for Mark chapter three. Um, it's a couple interesting stories. Uh, they don't all uh, fit together, um, perfectly, but you know, they're, they're all super interesting and, and we can, I think we can learn something really cool from, from each section here, uh, starting with Jesus healing the man with the withered hand. Yeah, so uh, we see that uh, in chapter 2, where do we leave off? The verse 28 of chapter 2 to finish off is, So the Son of Man is Lord uh, of the Sabbath, even of the Sabbath. So we see that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and then in chapter 3 it begins that Jesus enters the synagogue and heals this man with a withered hand, and the people, or uh, the authorities are watching Jesus to see if they would heal him on the Sabbath. So uh, this theme of Jesus being king even of the Sabbath is continued. And uh, who is Lord of the Sabbath in the Old Testament? It is God. This is Jesus uh, as God, as the divine uh, Son of Man. And so he is going to heal this this man. And uh, so what do you see here as, as we jump into into the story? Yeah, no, this, this, is, um, this is really cool because, you know, the first thing I see um, and what I saw while I was, you know, uh, reading and preparing for this, this episode is, is how... Um, you know, the Pharisees really have double intentions here. Um, there's kind of this, this feeling of, of they're really trying to trick Jesus. You know, they, they kind of want to catch him between, are you going to do the right thing, um, and help this man who's clearly, um, in a, in a state of, of despair, uh, or are you not going to do anything and stand by and watch, um, because of, you know, the, uh, regulations and rules that have been placed, um, in more of a, in a religious sense, uh, rather than, um, a faith sense, but, you know, they're trying to trap Jesus and have a justification for, um, it says later on a justification for destroying him. So I think it's really interesting that they just want to trap him and put him in, in this situation. And, and Jesus really doesn't want to, he doesn't play these games that they're trying to, you know, trap him in. And he, he typically has an answer for these types of things and he knows the right thing to do. Yeah, for sure. It's super interesting. You were talking about how they, they begin to seek to plot against Jesus, and it's ironic that they, they hate Jesus for seeking to do good on the Sabbath, and then they, they end up planning evil on the Sabbath in verse 6. And uh, I think it's actually, it's so easy to, and this is a good thing, by the way, is a tendency in scripture, but just to be focused on what Jesus is doing here. But if we take a second and think of the man with a withered hand, uh, he would have been kind of an outcast or he would have been uh, lowly in their in their uh, societal understanding of, of uh, people. 
And so this would be really scary. Like your his main weakness, his his reason to be embarrassed is made a public event as people are watching on to see what Jesus would do. And it's uh, it's interesting that Jesus steps into that space uh, and confronts that man. And then he says to the the people in verse four, says to the authorities, "Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm?" He's just talking generally about uh, is it good ethically. And then he says to do to save or to kill. And if you read the parallel passage in in, in uh, Matthew twelve nine through thirteen, we uh, Jesus expounds on this and, and talks about how uh, the authorities would be willing to avoid animal suffering and economic loss on the Sabbath, but they wouldn't be willing to heal somebody. And so Jesus is saying, what is ethically good? I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm here to heal this man. Exactly. I also think it's interesting that we see that uh, he becomes angered at the whole situation. You know, they're trying to trap him in, in this. Are you going to heal this man? Or are you not? Or are you going to obey the Sabbath? And, and Jesus is saying, look, you guys have the wrong intentions. You care about economic gains. You care about plotting against me. Um, like, why would you um, sit here and, and, and judge others and, and not want me to do good? And he becomes angered. And it's how I see it. I think it's more of a, it's a, it's a righteous anger. Kind of how we saw in Nehemiah when Nehemiah became angered in, in the last season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you got any thoughts about that? Uh, no, I don't. I do remember finishing off Nehemiah with that and Nehemiah just being mad and angered at all of the sin around him, kind of like the same uh, righteous anger Jesus uh, shows uh, in, in later in Mark. And uh, when he goes into the temple and he and he cleanses it, saying it's a, it's like a marketplace and uh, it's meant to be a, a house of worship uh, for all the nations. And so I think that Jesus is displaying the same righteous anger and as you were talking about with Nehemiah, and he's grieved at their hardness of heart because he wants to help help the man and he he heals him and then so the pharisees immediately go out and plot remember in their eyes this is a man who's violated the sabbath and is uh, hanging out with sinners and he's he said he's forgiven sins so if you're not really adhering to the message of, of jesus yet uh to you he is blasphemous and and does deserve punishment but again they are seeking to do evil on the sabbath as jesus seeks to do good and that's a comparison worth making and it's it's really interesting how you know transitioning over to the next section how the pharisees really had feelings of like disdain and, and anger and, and hatred towards jesus but now we see a, a crowd who who seems to be in awe and, and uh, worshiping jesus and, and following him around so i think it's really interesting as we move on to see you know kind of this shift that goes on and and we see a, a totally different um type of people in their feelings towards jesus but the interesting th- thing here for me is that we see that the, the, the crowd now, uh, there, there's many of them and they're surrounding Jesus and it seems um, that, you know, they're about to, it says they're about to crush him uh, by how many they, there are and, and how all of them who are sick or ha- have disease uh, want to touch him to be healed. And we kind of see here um, a similarity between these two groups, though, is that I would say both of them although their their motives and intentions are different and um, the crowd ha- has better intentions in, in what their goals are, um, in my opinion, maybe um, the Pharisees had worse intentions or plotting against Jesus and want to destroy him. However, they're both really missing the point here, which is, you know, that, that Jesus is king, um, that he's the son of God, and that, you know, in the case of the people who want their diseases and their sicknesses to be to be healed or cured um, they're really missing the point that you know Jesus can can heal a whole lot more here and, and can really 
restore their lives and restore their hearts. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I just look at exactly what you're you're talking about. In, in verse 8, it says that the great crowd had heard all that he was doing, and, and they came to him seeing that their motivation for following him, like exactly like you said, uh, brother, is that they are following based on Jesus' works rather than the person of Jesus. And it's actually interesting. Uh, we do know, and a lot of commentaries kind of agree on this, that th- these this set of this passage is more of a summary of Jesus' ministry, more than just a one-time event. Uh, and, and language in verse 11 kind of makes that a little bit clear. But it's interesting that in verse 7 and 8, you see this crowd mentioned. They're from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and, and Idumea and uh, uh, from beyond the Jordan, from around uh, Tyre. And it's interesting that uh, we would just think, oh yeah, they're all like local towns. Like if you're if you're from Dallas, like maybe it's like Plano, Carrollton, and Louisville. But this crowd isn't all nearby. Some of these places are over a hundred miles away. This crowd is very uh, diverse, and it's interesting too. Uh, it just feels like there's a tension between. The, the crowd being annoying in Mark's eyes and Jesus still addressing the needs of the people, meeting their physical needs, because it feels like Mark is uh, talking in a negative way about the crowd, as we've talked about before uh, in, in this gospel account, whereas Jesus is still uh, tending to the people. For sure. And, and that also points to the fact that, as we've seen um, in the first two chapters, that, um, you know, even, even uh, Jesus is own disciples, they, they missed the point and, and at times didn't understand uh, the parables Jesus was teaching and, and he had to, you know, go the extra mile to really explain to them and, and Jesus himself was a little frustrated that they didn't get it. Um, and I think that, you know, Jesus has the the best intentions and, and the kindest heart when he's healing these people, um, despite the fact that they're missing the point. And yeah, we see that Mark is, is frustrated at them, um, that they're crowding around Jesus, but, you know, I think I think that's a very interesting um, place to be, and just analyze how how Jesus handled the situation and and how um, he handled people who who desperately needed something from him, um, even though he knew that they were you know missing out on so much more, and then also how the disciples were you know very frustrated and and potentially not not seeing this in the light of doing it out of love you know. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting, like we're talking about, they, they, they're missing the point. They're missing who Jesus is. And uh, who doesn't miss who Jesus is? The, the demons are actually the first people in Mark, or not, I guess not people, but the first beings in Mark to, to uh, recognize Jesus as the Son of God. And so uh, this is actually just speculative as we, as we jump over to the section where he calls the apostles in a second. But um, we're going to see Jesus's authority as he calls the, the 12 apostles. And uh, this is right after it's declared by somebody besides Mark in, in verse one of the first chapter that Jesus is the son of God. So we see him labeled as an authoritative uh, uh, authoritative person who is part of the Trinity. And then we see uh, him go up on a mountain and call the apostles. Moving on to that next section that you're talking about with the 12 apostles, it's really interesting how at the beginning of this chapter, uh, you pointed out how there was a similarity that in the Old Testament, um, God was the Lord of the Sabbath, and and now we see Jesus as well be um, Lord over the Sabbath, and then as well as in in the Old Testament, we we saw the authority of, um, you know, for example, the the law coming uh, to Moses from a mountain, and now we see Jesus um, addressing the apostles again from a from an elevated place, it says again a mountain. Um, it's really interesting those similarities uh, that we see throughout, and how we can how we can look to those, and and it points to the Trinity, and it points to, um, you know, the authority of Christ. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's, it's, it's rather clear that uh, as we read this, maybe you've, you've made this connection a hundred times, or maybe you're new to Mark chapter three, but I think it's pretty obvious that we're supposed to see Jesus's uh, calling of the apostles uh, as echoing the, the 12 uh, sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel instituted in Genesis and Exodus. And it kind of uh, just connects his appointing and his, uh, his, his appointing of these 12 apostles um, to the authority of God in establishing his people through the tribes of Israel. And, and Mark doesn't make like a direct allusion to it or actually say it, but uh, I think it's really, I think it's really clear uh, what Jesus is doing right here with his ministry. Yeah, I think it's also interesting how how much care and, and attention he he puts into um, the twelve, and how that translates into we know that later on they're going to be the ones who who go out and spread his name and and uh, you know talk about all the things that Jesus did in his ministries and and spread you know God's word. Um, I think it's really interesting to see like how how much you know time he, he spent teaching them and preaching to them. And it, it's just like a, a very nice picture of, of how, how much, you know, Jesus was pouring into them as his disciples. Um, but yeah, but, you know, before we go on to the, uh, the next section about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, do you have anything else about the, the section about the 12 apostles? Well, there's actually a mini section in between those two. Uh, one thing that is interesting about the apostles is no, no matter where you're reading a listing of the apostles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, where, wherever you're reading uh, them, the inner three are always listed first, Peter, James, and John, kind of the, the big three in the inside the 12. Um, you think about Jesus had his inner little circle, and then he had his 12, and then he had a larger group of 70 or 72 that he sent out. So uh, that's really interesting. And then we see here that the crowd gathered again, and his family heard of it and went out to seize him and thought he was out of his mind. And so at this point, we just see that there's not much approval at this point from the family, um, which is interesting as uh, his half-brother James ended up writing what is the earliest written book of the New Testament, Andre's favorite book of the Bible. And... Uh, and then the the later the last part of Mark three is about Jesus' mother and brothers and Jesus proclaiming this vision of a reimagined family. So this is a theme in in Mark's uh, literary writing is that there's some sort of sandwich technique where he where he introduces or speaks of a, a concept and then sandwiches something in the middle and then and then finishes or concludes with that idea. So. Uh, we talked about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit in uh, in an episode about sin we did in season one. But do you have anything uh, about blasphemy from the Holy Spirit? Yeah, for sure. And like you said, we did talk about this in a in a previous episode, so um, we can just hit the highlights and you know make sure we at least cover it uh, for this series as well. But uh, we see that basically um, scribes and the, the Pharisees were, you know, they were calling Jesus to actually be, to actually be, um, you know, king over demons. And he was saying that he was casting out demons because he was one himself. And we see there that, you know, that's a little bit of what it's talking about when it's talking about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, as we talked about before, which is, you know, calling the Holy Spirit something that he's not, which is, which would be evil and, and things of the Spirit to be evil. And it's a really interesting thing, and it's something that we did talk about before, and I think that you put it really well um, last time in saying that um, in your description of, of, of how we could see this potentially today and what this maybe means for believers today, if you want to talk about that again. 
for this episode. Yeah, so there's certainly a discontinuity uh, with how it was, how this would have worked then. So first we see that the scribes say he's possessed by Belzebul. Uh, we could actually, just to draw out the meaning here, pronounce it Baalzebul, uh, meaning Baal's rule. If you're familiar with Baal from the story uh, stories with Elijah and Ahab and Jezebel from First and Second Kings, but just a ruler of demons or a prince of demons. Um, as it, as it says later in that verse. And then so Jesus uses a parable and then he speaks to uh, the one the one who blasphemes against the spirit never has forgiveness. That's in verse 29. And so this is where there's a discontinuity. The Pharisees thought he had an impure spirit. That's verse 30. But today we can't we can't visibly see Jesus of Nazareth in, Nazareth in front of us perform a miracle and then attribute it to Satan like they were doing. So today the the con- the discontinuity would be that today blaspheming the spirit is continuing in unbelief as the spirit uh, convicts the world of sin and righteousness. So in John 16 we realize or we learn that that's what the spirit does, convicts the world uh, of sin and righteousness. So our resistance to that is to blaspheme the spirit. So for those who have been transferred into the the kingdom of light by the saving and atoning work of Christ, uh, we can no longer be blaspheming the spirit. Uh, you even think about one can be blaspheme Jesus and be forgiven like like Peter, but we can't uh, we can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit and be forgiven because that would be ongoing uh, lack of repentance leading to not just not until physical death, but also leading to spiritual death. Is that pretty much what we talked about in the season one? Yeah, for sure. So basically kind of that understanding of, of who Jesus is and then, you know, purposeful, purposefully choosing to turn your back from that and, and basically, uh, you know, ignore or uh, turn away from, from the spirit's conviction. Um, but I think, I think that's really good. And that sums it up pretty well. And then we see the other side of that sandwich we were talking about, talking (laughs) about, uh, Jesus and his, uh, perception of, um, this reimagined family, uh, that, we're going to talk about with his um, mother and brothers and, you know, who he considers to be in his family, which I think is really cool. Yeah. So I think that one thing is just that like uh, Ephesians is one of my favorite books in Ephesians chapter one, we see that uh, uh, in his love, uh, God has predestined us for adoption. And so, uh, in this adoption, we are called into a reimagined family. He, uh, the people tell him that his 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 mother and brothers are outside seeking him, and he says, "Who are my mo- my mother and my brothers?" And he says, "Here, my my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother." Jesus is saying that once you've been called into the kingdom of Christ, once you're following after me, your family is reshaped. I mean, you think about our temporary family. We're called to honor and love those and serve those in our family, and we spend maybe what, 50, 70, 80 years, uh, God willing, with our temporary family. But if we are not joined in Christ with those people, uh, we end up spending an eternity with others. And so we are called into this adopted family that's reimagined and is knit together by the blood of Christ. And so I just think he's saying that, hey, you have a new family and you're to spread the word of this family to the ends of the earth. Yeah, it's really good. I also think it's just so comforting to think that, you know, Jesus would consider us to be um, his brothers. Um, and, you know, I think that that is super comforting, especially when uh, life gets tough or, you know, you feel like no one's on your side. You can you can really think, you know, it's not the, it's not the case at all. Um, I think it's very comforting to think about and to, you know, keep in mind, especially in tough times. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's easy to read the Gospels and to identify with Peter, who's constantly messing up, doesn't get anything right. It's hard to identify with Jesus sometimes because we love his justice. We love his mercy. We love his 
uh, we just we love his integrity. But it's sometimes hard to identify with that because we don't get close to matching up with that. So to be called his brother for us or his sister in uh, in in another case is just uh, it's just incredible. And also you think of Paul's language uh, that we are co-heirs with Christ. That is that is crazy to to think about. So I totally agree. And one last random point, which might uh, maybe not make the cut. We'll see. <laughs> I remember last year there was a there was like this like cult kind of thing. I don't know, kind of going around uh, with people talking about um, God the Mother. Was, I don't know. I ran to someone at, at a grocery store, read a bunch of stuff about it on the internet. That it was just this thing going around, and and potentially these people were um, like trying to traffic children or something. I have no idea. But anyway. Do you think that this uh, has anything to say about that whole idea of God the Mother here? How it, it says that you know Jesus uh, calls calls us his brothers and sisters and mother um, if we do God's will. Uh, no, I don't. So I, I do think that the Bible, whether it be in, in Luke eleven or it be it be somewhere else, that God is our heavenly Father. You think of Jesus's prayer, uh, and I think that the church is pictured as a bride loved by uh, Jesus Christ Himself, but um, I actually just Googled it as I'm reading here, but uh, apparently this idea of a heavenly mother is taught by the World Mission Society Church of God, a Korean cult founded in the 1960s. Um, and so they believe in a heavenly mother of sorts, but no, I, I don't believe that it is a, a patriarchal thing of some sort to call God uh, he. In fact, I was reading a good book on uh, theology one time, and I was reading a footnote and said how it it restricts God to call him uh, by pronouns, and I was just thinking about how uh, Jesus refers to God as Father, and I don't think it is improper at all, and I think that our triune God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, equal, but they uh, they do d- different things, but I think we have a Father in heaven, but, but not a mother. Yeah, for sure. And, um, I mean, that's all I got for this episode. Uh, do you got anything else? No, I don't have anything else. I didn't know we were talking about <laughs> the Heavenly Mother. Another note is my phone is out, though. Uh, I noticed that, and this will be late for when this releases, but uh, right now the Rays are beating the Dodgers 6-3 to in the eighth inning, and I predicted the Dodgers in six, especially after Kershaw's dominating performance, and now the Rays are up in game two. Uh, I'm assuming Snell has been per- pitching pretty well, but this is, this is crazy. You really hope the Dodgers can pull this one out. Yeah, my prediction for... The Raisin 7 is looking pretty good right now. <laughs> but, you know, we'll see. But I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and uh, keep uh, coming back for other things we're doing on Instagram as well as uh, the Sunday episodes that are just pretty short if uh, time is an issue for you. But yeah, come back on Thursday as well for uh, an interview, I believe, this week. Michael? Um, what This is Mark chapter 3. To, uh, this this Thursday, we'll be jumping into some church history. And uh, next, oh, okay. w- next week, we will be releasing an interview with one of my favorite people. Uh, so definitely tune in for that. Uh, and also next week in Mark chapter 4, as we look at uh, Jesus' parables, uh, parable of the sower and many, many others that he had, he had to tell us to have, have us envision a story and picture his kingdom. Uh, so thanks for joining us today. Awesome. Thanks for joining us and see you guys next time.